is so good to be here every time I step up here. Let me see. Oh, me. That's pretty nice. What's that, Mark? You better ask these folks if I can preach 20% longer. I would be glad to preach even more than that. <laughs> uh, it's nice to laugh. It's nice to enjoy. I've already enjoyed a, a full hour or more here just fellowshipping and walking up and down the halls and saying hi to people and seeing your smiling faces. And my goodness, the music is beautiful. Amen. Choir, you did such a nice job. And I bet Beth's gone to work in the back, but boy, she did a nice job. And Belinda and Annabelle, we thank you, both you ladies. So it is just so good to worship the Lord and to be here amongst good people and to know that we are free. Amen? Free because of Jesus Christ. And it thrills me every time that I realize how God is showing all of us and certainly showing me. I pray deeply about it. And I see what we are to do. Now, it's not me. That is the Lord. And that is him revealing to me. But I'm so pleased to tell you today that for this sermon today, and I have the privilege of preaching for you on the 23rd and the 30th this month. For these next three and maybe some more, we're going to look at this man, Nehemiah. Now, there are a lot of powerful people in the Old Testament. I hope you like the Old Testament. I used to read mostly the New Testament. And my Bible that I used all the time, the last third of the book had nice worn pages and it was read well and all like that. And the first two-thirds of the book, which is the Old Testament, it was they were nice and clean and neat and not wrinkled at all. Now, that was a long time ago because the Lord has shown me there's a great many lessons and there's a great deal of power in the Old Testament. The whole Bible is to be honored and loved. And Nehemiah, and I'm thrilled about this, he's one of my favorites because he is a diligent man. He is a praying man. He is a loyal man. He is a courageous man. He is an intelligent man. And he puts all of his dependence and foundation on Almighty God. And that's the best thing about him. And I want to tell you as Kings Grant Baptist Church that what we will cover in Nehemiah is absolutely the message for this church. I, I have a book here that I have to declare both my appreciation for and my dependence on as I share this with you because I never want to plagiarize. And this book is written by a man by the name of O.S. Hawkins, who is a very well-known Baptist pastor, First Baptist Church, Fort Lauderdale, First Baptist Church, Dallas, those are just little small churches. Uh, but he has written this book called The Nehemiah Code. And I have read it. I have taught it. I have been blessed by it. I'm sure you can find it. And so I'm going to give you an assignment. Read this 
after you've read the whole book of Nehemiah and scriptures. And then you will understand more of the power of this passage of scripture, this section, section of scripture. Now, in order to understand and know something about Nehemiah, you have to know a little bit of history. And I'm sure many of you do. I hope all of you do. But we know, and we don't throw rocks at this, but we know that the Jewish people were good, and then they were bad, and then they were good, and then they were bad, and then they were good, and then they were bad. And I could say that same phrase about 15 or 20 times all throughout the Old Testament. They would honor the Lord, and then they would walk away and rebel. And they'd honor the Lord and walk away and rebel. And because of all of that, the Scriptures call it stiff-neckedness, stubbornness. Now, I know there's not a stubborn person in this room, right? Why did y'all chuckle at that? Yes, indeed. We all have that tendency because we want to do it our way. And because these people were stiff-necked and stubborn, God had to discipline them. And it happened, and it happened, and it happened. And they gave in, and they uh, obeyed. And But then it came where he, and the date was 586 B.C., Tragedy though it was, he allowed a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Some people affectionately call him Nebi. I don't. But Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army came into Jerusalem in all of their fury. And they laid siege to Jerusalem and they ended up defeating and not only defeating all the Israelites in Jerusalem, but they destroyed, absolutely annihilated the city in which was the temple, Solomon's temple. And the temple was completely destroyed. And then all of the walls and the gates of the wall around the city. Everything in 586. And then they captured most of the, the Israelites and took, took them off to Babylon. That's why it's called the Babylonian exile. They are now away from their homeland. Tragedy though it was, but many of them moved, went to Babylon. Actually, many of them settled there. They intermarried there. Scripture says that they took their harps and they hung them on the trees because of their deep distress. They were exiled from their homeland. And now then, they're there for years, 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 years. Actually, it was a total of 70 years, but about 50 years down the road from 586, the Persians conquered Babylon. And the Persians became the ruling power in that whole region at that time. And there was a king of Persia by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus issued an edict and said that the Jewish people could go back to Jerusalem. He freed them. Now, I would think if it would have been me, I would have been packed up the next day and running toward Jerusalem. 
<clears throat> but for some reason, a lot of the Israelites did not do that. Maybe they were pleased to be in Babylon and now in Persia. They were pleased to have prospered there. They were pleased to not have to fool with God's obedience. Maybe they wanted to do their own thing. It's called personal preference. In fact, even for the people that went back to Jerusalem, and several, many, many, many of the Jews did. If you look at the book of Haggai, ooh, did you know that's in the Old Testament? It's a big, big book. It's two pages. Powerful book, though. And we find out in Haggai that these people that went back to Jerusalem even still wanted their personal preferences. It seems like that that has been a disease that we godly people have had for all of these thousands of years to this very moment. And they went back to Jerusalem and the main thing was they needed to rebuild the temple, a place for God's worship to take place. But we find out in Haggai that they built a little bit and then they stopped and they built a little bit. See, inconsistency, wandering back and forth. Just, my goodness, God deserves better than that. But now they're back in Jerusalem, many of the Jews. But the city is still in ruins. The city is not protected because the walls are down and the gates are burned. And now into this picture of history steps this man, Nehemiah. Now, how does he get into this? He's not even in Jerusalem. He's not ever been in Jerusalem, as far as we can tell. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in captivity in Babylon and in Persia. And he has lived there all of his life. But he has a heart for God's people. And he has a heart for God himself. And he has a heart for the worship of God and for the protection of the people. And so he's in Persia. He's actually a government employee, if we can put it like that. He serves the king. Now, here's an interesting name, Artaxerxes. That's the king's name of Persia at this time when Nehemiah steps onto the stage. And Nehemiah serving him. He's in his court. And then Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, is his name. He's been to Jerusalem. And he comes back to Susha, where they are living at the time in Persia. And Nehemiah, for his heart for the Lord, for the Jewish people, for the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah asked of Hananiah, how is it back in Jerusalem? How are the people and how is the city? And Hananiah gives him a very drastic report. Because Hananiah looks at Nehemiah and says, it is not good. The people are in desperate distress and depressed. And the city is in ruins and the walls and the gates are down and burned with fire. 
Now, the scripture that Helen read for us a moment ago says that at that point, Nehemiah wept. You remember, he has a heart for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. He wept. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because that tells us something about the character of this man. And then it says that he mourned and that he fasted and that he prayed. For several days he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. Remember I said Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Actually, if you want to count them, go through the book of Nehemiah and you find 14 different prayers in that book from Nehemiah about various things that he faces in these chapters. But here he's weeping and feeling the agony of his ancestors and of his, can we say, hometown, Jerusalem, even though he's not born there, he's not lived there, but yet his heart is there with the Jewish people. And now, not just quickly... But for days, for days, he's mourning and fasting and praying. Are you realizing that this man, Nehemiah, is in grief because of the tragedy of Jerusalem and all the people back there? And that's where he starts because there is his heart and his heart yearning for the people and honoring the people because he knows Almighty God. And so his foundation is there, is with God, to honor God, to glorify God, to pray to God, to pray to God, to pray to God, and to pray to God some more. For days he mourned and he fasted and he prayed because of his grief over the city of Jerusalem. And then we have, and I'm going to turn to the book here, and go back over the prayer that Nehemiah said to Almighty God. Because he said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commandments. Do you hear, please, that here Nehemiah is honoring Almighty God and God's love. And he is calling God to listen and to hear from those people who love him and obey his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He is praying for others. This is called intercessory prayer. He is praying for his people, the people of Israel, the people of God that are suffering, who are dejected and depressed and struggling back in Jerusalem. He goes on with a confession. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed. We have acted very wickedly toward you. Now, the fact is we don't know of the sins of Nehemiah. Now, yes, he has sinned like all of us do. But whereas a lot of the people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, their sins are depicted and stated very plainly. But you need to realize that because Nehemiah loves 
And because Nehemiah is a man of God, he's not going to blame a lot of this, these problems on somebody else. Because here he is confessing and he's saying that we confess, including myself and my father's house, and we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah is taking all of this process very, very personally. Now, the fact is, is that Nehemiah is moving under God's leadership toward taking action related to this terrible situation that's back in Jerusalem. And he is taking all of this personally. Now, for you and I, I have said to you before, this that I'm talking about is not a history lesson. It's not just a neat story. I am saying to you and saying to myself that God wants us to take all of this personally. And he wants us to apply some of these same principles that we're going to learn from Nehemiah today and in the future sermons that I have the privilege of sharing with you. We're going to learn about rebuilding the process. And that is applicable to this church. We've got to take it personally. Nehemiah goes on. He says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses. You said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Do you understand what God's saying right there to all of his people? Now, he's saying this 2,500 years ago to Nehemiah and all the people of Israel. But he's saying this to you and me today. He said, if you are unfaithful, then you will be apart from me. You will not be a part of my family in close relationship. Now, I believe in once saved, always saved. So I'm not talking about that. I don't believe God's talking about that. But for you and I and for King's Grant Baptist Church to be in the blessings and in the the anointing and in the the will of God, then we've got to obey. We've got to take this personally. He says, if you're unfaithful, then I will move you away from me, basically is what he's saying. But then he says, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if the persons of your people are farthest away, I will bring them back to my presence. Now, I want that to sink in to you good people for a moment. This is not an option, folks. And God's commands and God's will is not something that we just say, well, okay, that's what the preacher talked about, but I'm going to go on with what I'm doing. No, we are to obey and honor the Lord in our personal lives and in King's Grant Baptist Church. He goes on to say, they are your servants, meaning the people of Israel. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. 
O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, what in the world does Nehemiah mean by that? He has just finished that prayer with a personal statement. Saying, Lord, grant to your servant this day success, favor, and show that favor as I approach this man. Now, who is this man? Nehemiah is about to take a step that puts him on the line for action, for work, for commitment, because of the call of God in his life. The call of God is through his heart and Nehemiah's heart for the people of of Jerusalem. Remember, Nehemiah is way away. He's in Persia. He's not in Jerusalem, but he's about to take a step to, to walk toward Jerusalem. And then there's a really interesting phrase right at the end of this section of Scripture. Because it says, I am the cupbearer to the king. Now remember that Artaxerxes' name I mentioned a moment ago? That's the king. He has just prayed, asking God to give him, Nehemiah, favor as he approaches this man. Who's his boss? Artaxerxes is his boss. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Now, does that mean that he was just a busboy? Does that mean that he was just a waiter of tables? Does that mean that he just mopped up the kitchen? No. The cupbearer of the king was the trusted ally that sat right beside King Artaxerxes and tasted every drink of wine that went into his mouth and tasted every morsel of food that he ate. Would you think that Nehemiah has shown his character as he grew up in the courts of Artaxerxes and the other royalty of Persia? Yes, because why? Nehemiah was a man of God. This yearning and godliness and prayerfulness that we're looking at right now did not just start at this point. It has been a part of Nehemiah's life. And God has been fashioning him for this moment where he is now going to take a step of action in order to rebuild. Please pay attention to that word. All of us need rebuilding. We are broken people. We are sinful people. We are struggling people. Every person in this room struggles. Every person in this room sins. Every person in this church falls into a hole sometimes. We struggle in this church. We want to be rebuilt. There's only one foundation for rebuilding. 
And that is Almighty God and obedience to Him and His ways. If you want to rebuild any place else, it's not going to happen. The undertitle or the byline to this little book, the Nehemiah Code that I held up a moment ago, it says, It's never too late for a new beginning. Now, what that means is, is that you have to start over again sometimes. So what, so what is Nehemiah going to do now? He's prayed. He is mourned and he has fasted and he's prayed and he's wept over Jerusalem. And now God is leading him and calling him to act. So it says here in the second chapter, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, Nehemiah speaking, he's writing this, I took wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Now the king is identifying that. The Lord caused that. And the relationship between Artaxerxes and Nehemiah caused that. Because the king is saying, my brother, you are sad. You are depressed, and I've never seen you sad like this before. Never. And Nehemiah says, I was very afraid. He is fearful because Artaxerxes is the king and is his boss. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Now, a little word about Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is a, is a pagan king. He's not a godly king. He's not a man of God. He is not understanding and following God's will. But now God is using Artaxerxes and will use Artaxerxes in a very powerful way for God's people and for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And here's Nehemiah hearing his king saying, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, we've only read a little bit. We've only looked at a little bit in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And now we've already seen him mourning and fasting and praying. And then we have read and looked at a powerful prayer that he has laid before Almighty God. And now, instead of just jumping at the chance after the king says, What is it that you want? What does he say? Nehemiah says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, do you do that? Do I do that? Do we pray about the things that are powerful, or meaningful, or even small in our lives? Nehemiah is a man of prayer. God is calling him. God is going to use him. It is a powerful story that we're going to embrace in coming weeks. But now here is Nehemiah being offered... The king is saying, what do you want, son? And instead of just absolutely quickly jumping at that, Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. 
If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him, the king, send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that, listen carefully, so that I can rebuild it. This is the message of the book of Nehemiah. Because we're going to see as we continue on in my statements to you in the near future. We're going to see the way God fashioned this whole process. We're going to see the way Artaxerxes, pagan king though he is and was, the way he offered support and affirmation and foundation for the whole process. And we're going to see Nehemiah, this godly praying man, stepping forth and not just doing it himself, but organizing the people of Jerusalem, building a team, giving them affirmation and positiveness, giving them God's stories and direction and instruction and pulling them together even in the midst of absolute opposition because there were people in Jerusalem that did not want the city to be rebuilt. There were opponents, enemies of God's people. And now we're going to see. Now, that's exciting to me. Because I go back to what I said a little earlier. We all need rebuilding. We need it in our personhood. We need it in our family relationships. We need it in our marriages. We need it in our church family. We need it right here in this place before Almighty God. Praying and seeking God and following his leadership so that we can have a new beginning. I ask you to pray earnestly about what we all are going to learn as we walk on with Nehemiah. And then what we will put into practice in our lives, in our families, and in this good church, we will see what God will do. Please pray with me for a moment. Father, we are so thankful to be here this day. We're so thankful for your word, for your comfort, for your challenges. We're so thankful that Nehemiah was willing 2,500 years ago to step away from his special place with the king and in his court and in his prestige and in his security. And he left all of that comfort and stepped into the water so that he could serve you and serve your kingdom and serve your people. I pray for the lesson that you have for us today. I pray for, for the lessons that you have for us as we move on through this powerful, amazing, exciting book. And I pray for everybody in this room, everybody in this church, for all of us, 
to obey, to follow, to see what you want us to do, and then to act on that. And then we declare, Father, that you have promised us that when we are faithful, when we are obedient, when we are humble, when we are seeking you and your face, then you will forgive us and you will take us to the point where you want us to be, and that is a point of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the peace and the freedom that you promise us. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.